Welcome to the last episode of season three of Inside Marketing Design. I always like to make this sort of wrap up episode at the end of the season, just to share with you what I've learned from it, from all the guests that I've had on the show, from all the conversations that we've had. In my opinion, this idea of reflecting and what it is you've heard, what it is you've learned is a way to actually take action on some of the learnings. So I definitely encourage you to do this too. If you've been listening to the season and you've jotted down some notes perhaps of interesting things that have happened, reflect on them. Have you spotted any trends of things you noticed amongst the different episodes? I'm going to be sharing my take on that today, but I definitely want to hear yours as well. So please feel free to share them either in the description of the YouTube video or reach out to me on social media as per usual. And I got to say one last thank you to Webflow for sponsoring this season of Inside Marketing Design. I could not make this show without their help. It's a lot of work to record all the episodes, get them all edited, get them all uploaded. And Webflow's sponsorship really, really does help a lot. If you somehow missed me talking about them in all of the other episodes this season, they're a no-code website building tool. I use them for the inside marketing design site, use it for my personal site. And if you go back and listen to the Oyster episode in particular, which I think was episode number seven, then you'll get to hear about how the Oyster team uses Webflow for their marketing site and uh, why that helps them build things, get them out faster. They've got a Webflow designer on the team making that happen. Very good episode, definitely check it out. And thank you Webflow for sponsoring the season. Check them out at insidemarketingdesign.com slash Webflow. But now let's get into it and let me share with you my main takeaways, things I've learned and like some changes that I'm gonna implement as a result of the things that I heard from my guests in this season. I have a bunch of notes in front of me that I've been taking throughout the season because I find myself being in host mode during the interview itself. I'm like just having the conversation, making sure I'm asking the questions, following curiosity, things like that. But when I review an edit of an episode, I'm really in like learning mode and I'm learning from the conversations myself as well. It's quite interesting to be in both of those roles. So very early in the season, I interviewed Michael from Zapier, Justin from Oyster, and they both talked about brand producers, this idea of having someone in a role on the team whose job it is to like make the projects happen, get them done, wrangle all the things, prioritize. I guess I kind of see a brand producer after like following this thread more to learn more about the role as kind of like a product manager, but on the brand side of things where they're helping decide what to build next, what to focus on, how much time and effort to put into each project, how to make it all happen, doing the scoping, things like that. It's not a role that I have on my team right now. It's a role that I've only actually gotten to work with once in my career for like a very short period of time while I was at Zero HQ in Wellington. But hearing Michael and Justin talk about having this role on their team, I was just like, I need that. I don't have that. I'm not going to be able to hire for this role for a while because of the way we hire at ConvertKit. We hire very slowly. We have a strict like rule of the amount of ARR per employee before we can bring a new role onto the team. And so I don't think I'm going to get the headcount for this this year, but I know that in the future, this is a role that I would like to have on my team from hearing about the value of it from Justin and Michael in this season, which was very useful. One of the reasons that I always like to start an episode of this podcast by getting the lay of the land and understanding what is the makeup of the team that that my guest is on or that they lead because it can vary a lot between companies. What roles are on a marketing design team, handling brand design at a company, who works on that can be very different. And yeah, this was a role that stood out to me as one that I think I need to add sometime in the future. But in the meantime, hearing about this, hearing about their project processes has just inspired me to get a bit more like structured with that myself in working with the brand studio team at ConvertKit. So I'm gonna have to play the role of brand producer a bit, but I'm putting more effort into 
understanding our capacity much clearer so that things can run a little bit more smoothly. We heard a lot about rebrands or brand refreshes this season, which again stood out to me because it's something that I'm working on right now at ConvertKit. We're doing like a bit of a brand refresh. We had Oyster who refreshed their patterns that they felt like they needed to expand on the like brand visual library a little bit more. And that episode was really interesting where they talked about the fact that they redesigned their homepage by keeping the content the same and just changing out the design. And it was amazing to see what a difference that made visually and to the perception of the brand and the product as a whole, applying that new like coat of paint, so to speak. I think it's more than that, but yeah, keeping the content the same, refreshing the design. Sketch as well talked about doing some visual updates to their brand and something that is always really fun to do as I'm gathering assets for an episode is look back on Internet Archive at what these companies' websites looked like, you know, a year ago, two years ago. And Sketch was a particularly fun one to dig in because honestly, when I first heard from Carly and Oz about this idea of that they'd been refreshing their visuals, I thought, hmm, I can't think of like anything that's changed with Sketch. But clearly when we see it, there is quite a big visual difference and clearly they've done it well because it still feels like the same brand. But yeah, it's always fun to look back on what companies' websites looked like in the past. And then of course we can't talk about rebrands without mentioning Zapier, which was one of my favorite episodes of the season for the way Michael told that story of the Zapier rebrand and the re-rebrand, how that process all went. If you didn't listen to that episode, I think I'm going to say that it's my favorite of the season and it's the number one you should listen to. If you haven't listened to anything else, go listen to that one. And I mean, hopefully it'll get you hooked and you'll want to listen to more, but I think it was a super valuable episode. The way that Michael talked about brand in general was very inspiring to me, talking about the way that he leads brand within a company and gets buy-in. He talked with such confidence about brand and its importance and how it's about shifting perception. And that is a thing that can take time and that all the little things are important and add up to it. Yeah, I was very inspired by that. And I think that I've spoken up more or it's helped me set more of a brand vision at ConvertKit in my role where I lead brand as well as creative director. So yeah, thank you again to Michael for sharing that because it was a great episode. I guess in speaking about brand and like making changes visually, I want to talk about product imagery next, which was something that came up several times as something that teams had worked on defining the style of, changing the style of. Cara from Planoly talked about how Previously, Planoly product imagery was just a direct screenshot, but how that sometimes led to things being very small on screen and it wasn't super clear what it is you were showing. And she talked about finding this right balance between having something look like the real product and having something that like explains what it is the product can do for you. And sometimes those are not the same thing. I used to believe pretty firmly that a direct screenshot of the product was the way to go. I didn't like the fact that companies would use illustrations instead of showing the product because you never really got a sense of it and you'd have to sign up to like see what it even looked like. But I think I've changed my perspective on this now. I think that hearing from companies in the season of the show has really helped me get to this point of understanding that yes it's great to show the real thing and you do want to be transparent and make it easy for a potential user to see how something's going to work but you're trying to sell the product and you're trying to show them how it's going to help solve their problems and sometimes just showing a direct screenshot doesn't do that and needs a little bit more like storytelling to it. I'm definitely very inspired by Zendesk and their block frames system from episode 12. 
That is something that I absolutely want to create at ConvertKit. David, marketing designer on my team, and I have already started talking about this. I titled that episode Marketing Design System Goals because that is truly what Zendesk is for me. That's like what I want to have, where they have the system where you have the main shot of the product and it could be high fidelity, low fidelity, where it's like a little more abstracted so that you're not like trying to read the little copy and see the details. And then the little pieces around it that pull out pieces of the UI. I think it's great. And uh, I think we need that sort of system at ConvertKit to show the real thing when needed, but then also be able to show more abstracted versions when we just want to focus on a certain part of the product. How I'm currently thinking about doing things as I adapt the way that we do product imagery at ConvertKit is to show like a pretty close to real screenshot at the top of a feature page, but then have more abstracted shots further down as we get more into the details. And then I can't talk about product imagery without talking about the fantastic way that the sketch team uses product UI in their web design. I still think that's super cool. I remember my like moment of like, wow, when I did the like expand collapse thing on the developer handoff page and saw the numbers changing. It's like such a small detail, but like so cool, very important and just really elevated the sketch brand in my mind. So that's something to think about. If you have a product that has like very visually distinct features to it, how can you bring that into the designs that you are creating to promote that product? That's something that I'm still thinking on for ConvertKit. I don't know if there's a lot that's like that because a lot of our product is about the user's content and the content they create. But we did used to have these little lines like directing to pieces of content that were sort of inspired by our visual automations. So I don't know, maybe I gotta try bring that back. Speaking of Zendesk's block frame system, we also talked about design systems in a bunch of episodes, which definitely is different, I think, from a previous season. Like it was mentioned a couple of times, but I feel like it was, you know, in about half the episodes, we talked about design systems now on the marketing design side, which is something that's been evolving over the years. We're learning from product about the value of having a system, the value of working within a system. And I think that's really cool. Zendesk, again, goals for a marketing site design system. From the way Megan was talking about it, you can definitely tell that at Zendesk, the system is treated very much like a product design marketing system where they have like governance and deciding when to adapt a component, when to add a new one, very inspiring. And I kind of hope that this new, well, new-ish like way of having design systems on the marketing site side could be the key to getting marketing designers paid at the same rate as product designers. Cause I know that right now out in the industry, there is still a lot of disparity, even though we're doing very similar things. Like designing a website is doing UX, it's doing UI, it's running a design system in, in cases like this now and just doing user research. I don't know, I just don't understand why marketing design roles, especially ones that are designing for websites are paid less than product design roles. Makes no sense to me. It was interesting to hear that at Chargebee and also at Pitch that their design system is created in a way that allows non-designers to create pages. I think at Pitch, Jan called it a company-wide design system, not just like a marketing design system. And yeah, at Chargebee, Shakti talked about how the system allows marketing teams to build pages with these predefined sections and the rules that they have. This is something that I know I need to step into to scale the work that we do at ConvertKit. I've been hesitant to in the past, as I mentioned in several episodes, you're probably sick of me talking about it by now. I've always been fearful of letting like handing over those design decisions to non-designers, because I do still think that 
even if you're building within a system, you're making design decisions. But I've come to understand now that it's our role as designers to design the system in a way that lets people make the right choices, makes informed choices, and also having a system set up where we can review and make changes as needed as well. So that's something that we want to work towards at ConvertKit. There will definitely be videos coming on my YouTube channel about that in the new year as we build it out, so stay tuned. And then another really interesting design system note from the season was at Paystack, where Tommy said that they have a design system in the code base, but not in Figma yet, which I thought was really interesting because often it goes the other way around. But with Tommy being a developer as well as a designer, I guess it makes sense. Speaking of Paystack, I want to go in and talk about like data and testing that came up in lots of episodes and fair enough that it came up in lots because I do like to ask about it because it's really interesting to me. Paystack was a fantastic episode for talking about site speed. I highly recommend you listen to that and learn from Tommy on it. Something Tommy said about site speed is that sometimes it's about giving the illusion of speed. So like the way something loads in to make it feel fast, even if it's not, <laughs> or like even if it, you know, it could be faster as long as it feels fast, it gives that illusion of speed. It can go a long way. So I like that. Tommy also shared a story of adding a contact button to the sales page to like contact the sales team, how that was like a quick change they were able to implement and have a big impact on results just from like hearing the problem from a stakeholder. And so that just showed me the importance of taking initiative as a designer too. And hearing the problem, thinking I can help solve this and like taking ownership and making it happen. I think the best episodes for talking about data and testing though were monday.com and write message. Brennan from write message talked about site conversion data and personalization, how that can help improve conversion. And he gave a lot of great details, with a lot of real numbers on the like marketing funnel, the site funnel of write message. So definitely check that episode out. And monday.com is sort of like data goals. If Zendesk is marketing design system goals, monday.com is data goals with where they talked about having access to this big brain system where they can check in on the data to do with the marketing site, to do with campaigns. They ran so many tests for their homepage. I really loved learning about that and seeing the final result and understanding why they chose it. It was great for Danielle to take us through that in the episode. So definitely go listen to that for a great story about iterating and improving. From monday.com, we also got to hear from Noga about the like design process and her involvement in the Super Bowl ad that they produced. This idea of like producing a video ad also came up in Funding Circle, where Monica talked about how their TVCs are sort of like the center of their marketing and it's the visuals from those TV commercials that then fed into their brand and had to feed into the other assets. Monica told a great story about how the internal team had to really pivot and like make something work when the TVC didn't produce great visuals to work with. So that that was really interesting. It definitely reminded me that a campaign needs to be flexible enough to work, not just in like the form that the decisions were made, in this case, a TVC, but being applied other places as well so that you can create something cohesive and consistent and that all like feeds in and works together. Actually, Noga at monday.com talked about that too, about settling on the space imagery that happened at the end of the Super Bowl ad as part of the like the static ads and outdoors. I can't remember the actual word for it. Out of home, out of home. <laughs>
those were examples of like pretty big productions of ads. But I really liked hearing from Kara at Planoly too about creating video ads there and how the team is a lot more scrappy. They've got the marketing designer making TikTok content and Kara using a footage of her son in one of the motion graphics ads she'd created. I think that's really cool. That's the sort of like small company scrappiness that I love working within. And so it was nice to hear about that from another team as well. And that episode too, which was especially relevant given Planoly, you know, as a social media scheduling tool, was really interesting for talking about how making content feel native to the platform it's on can help it perform better, that producing slick, well-produced videos maybe isn't the right thing to do for a platform like TikTok or Instagram Reels. There was some really interesting conversations about copy and copywriters as part of this season. Zendesk, for example, having copywriters on the design team and Christina talking about how sometimes the writers lead design projects and how there's some projects that lend themselves better to that than actually having a designer take the lead on it, which I thought was really interesting, definitely opened my mind a bit. There's always this tension between like design first, copy first. Brennan at Write Message likes to do copy first, asks the wireframe essentially, he writes in a Google Doc what he wants to say on the page and then figures out the design to represent that copy, which makes sense to me because Brennan like is a writer, he's a creator and writing is obviously something that's very comfortable for him. I'm still definitely of the opinion that content should come first, that you should decide what does this page need to communicate? And then there's things you can do visually to make that happen. There's the exact copy that can make that happen, but that starting and like committing to one design or like one like way of writing the copy first doesn't work. They kind of have to be meshed together. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but there is an article that I wrote on my blog about this that I'll link in the description in the show notes. I'm always someone who fights for like as little copy as possible. And that's definitely like, I recognize there's some bias in that because I don't like to read a ton on a website usually. I just want to be able to skim. But there was a few things that Guest said in the season that has got me thinking differently a little bit about this. One is from Sketch talking about the comparison pages where Carly said that um, the designers did push back, ask for less copy, like they tried to cut it. And she was like, no, it ne we need to tell the story. We need to say this. So hearing that, but then seeing the design that Oz and the team came up with to represent it, where it doesn't like, it is a lot of copy. There's a lot of words on the page, but it's delightful to scroll through. It keeps you moving. It keeps you engaged because of the design decisions they made. So that just opened my mind and made me think, okay, maybe I need to just like chill a bit in pushing for less copy. And uh, you know, maybe I just need to be a better designer to be able to represent long copy well. However, I do think there is a time where you'd need less copy on a page. And it was actually something that Shakti said in the episode about Chargebee that helped me get clear on what this could be. He was talking about there being solution aware pages on the site and then problem aware pages. And you should go listen to the episode to hear him talk about it because he explains it a lot better than me. But yeah, it's talking about the different phases that a user goes through on their journey of discovery, learning about your product, understanding, clarifying the problem, then clarifying the solution that your product can have for it. it Maybe think that at ConvertKit, we should maybe lead with less information density on the homepage as we're like introducing ourselves. Like that's the place. The homepage, like the top level feature page, for example, the start of a landing page, those are the places where I should push for less copy. But then as people dig deeper in the site or if they scroll down a bit, 
on a landing page, it's clear that they want to know more. It's clear that they want more details. And so on those like nested feature pages where we're talking about one specific feature in detail, maybe those are the places to have more information density and that, you know, we're bringing a user on their journey of discovery and giving them more information when they ask for it. I don't know if that makes sense because this is a new thought that David and I just clarified the other day, but that's what I think we're going to try work to from now on. It was interesting in this season to have a couple of design founders. That's not something that I had before. First episode of the season, Pitch, talking to Jan, who is the co-founder of this company that is like, you know, quite large now, and he's still acting as a marketing designer within the company. And then Right Message as well, Brennan, co-founder of the company. It's a two-person company, but he is still the one handling the design work as a co-founder. So I thought that was interesting. And then lastly, another really interesting thing this season about process, I guess, is just how many companies work with contractors and agencies. This is something that we do at ConvertKit. We work with freelancers. We have one on retainer and like, you know, others that we lean on for projects when necessary. But seeing just how widespread it is and also particularly seeing how many companies have an agency on retainer for doing work with them made me realize that I'm perhaps trying to do a little bit too much internally and maybe that's hindering our ability to create more things. It was Austin at Zero who really got me thinking about this, honestly, talking about the way that he does a lot of like art direction, creative direction and working with agencies on projects to like maybe set the direction of a campaign and then the agency goes off and creates all the sizes for it. I just think that there's more we can do to outsource in the brand studio team at ConvertKit to be more efficient and also get to work on all the things that we want or need to work on. I interviewed Austin pretty early in the season and yeah, then I heard agencies come up again and again through others like Planoly, Funding Circle, Oyster, Zapier as well. And as a direct result of these interviews, I've actually reached out to an agency that Oyster uses and we're probably going to be working with them in the new year. So I'll share more about that when that comes. But I'll be reflecting back on Austin's advice in the Auth0 episode, which was episode three. I'll be reflecting back on that advice about how he doesn't try and review and like give feedback on every single asset that the agency is producing because there is so much stuff, but rather he'll try and course correct if he notices going off too far in the wrong direction. And it'll be more like, here's some feedback on the way you're using our brand rather than like this specific image should have this margin instead of what you put. So I think that was really useful advice because I think even if outsourcing, there's still work for the internal team to do that reviewing, to do the briefing process. And so the easier we can make that, the better I think it's gonna be really important for getting value out of a relationship with an agency. Overall, from all of the fantastic guests that I had on this season, I also just noticed a lot of ownership, a lot of taking initiative, which I love to see. There's just, yeah, so many smart people that I talk to who are really good at what they do, and I'm honored to get to learn from them. I'm honored that they shared their time with me and shared all their knowledge and their insights. I truly believe that learning from our peers, learning from people who are practicing in similar roles at other companies is one of the best ways we can learn and grow and improve. And so I hope that's what this show Inside Marketing Design is doing for you, because it's definitely doing it for me. I feel like I have honestly leveled up as a leader, as a creative director this season from what I got to learn from my guests. And clearly there's still a lot that I need to put into practice, but yeah, there's been some good mindset shifts that happened throughout the season for me. 
Now, like I said, I definitely want to hear what your takeaways were. What was your favorite episode? What's one thing that you've learned and already implemented? What got you thinking? What made a mindset shift for you? I want to hear about it however you want to tell me about it, whether it's in the description of this video, reaching out on social, send me an email, whatever you want to do, just let me know if you enjoyed the season and how it impacted you because it's really helpful for me to get that feedback in going forward to produce future episodes of the show. Speaking of, next year I am thinking that I'm going to go monthly with the show instead of doing it like we did where it's a season that comes out over three months, weekly in that time. I think sometimes there's not enough time to like let an episode digest in a way to like sit and reflect on it when one's coming out every single week. So yeah, I'm going to try do monthly next year, starting from around April. You can expect to see season four coming out. So if there's certain companies that you want to hear from next year, then please let me know, recommend them, put me in touch with them if you know them, because I am looking for guests who lead and work on marketing design at other tech companies. Thank you once again to Webflow for sponsoring the season of the show. Check them out. They'll be linked in the description. And thank you to you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please go leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to the Inside Marketing Design YouTube channel. Subscribe in your podcast feed to my newsletter if you want. Just make sure that you're, you're in touch somehow so I can let you know when the next season is starting and new episodes are coming. Here's to another season of Inside Marketing Design and I will see you in the next one. Bye.